Good morning. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Are you living a dream or a mission? What do you have? Yeah, the fact is a dream is pretty easy. A dream doesn't require a whole lot. In fact, you might be dreaming right now when you should be paying attention. Shame on you. Yeah, a dream is just this picture that we have of a reality that we would love to experience one day. It's hopes, ideals, retirement, relationships, job, you know, all kinds of things that we just picture. And, and we come up with this view, we dream about it. But you know, nothing further is required of a dream. You have it, you, the, the picture is clear. You don't have to do a single thing and you can have a dream. In fact, sometimes you can unintentionally have a dream. Sometimes it's a good dream, sometimes it's a bad dream, and you wake up in the middle of the night and you go, oh, I wish I didn't wake up, that was amazing. Or sometimes you go, I'm glad I woke up because that was horrible. You know, you didn't go to bed planning on having that dream, it just, you just kind of thought it. You know, life's kind of that way. You, you've got these pictures in your mind, and that's all you have to do to have a dream. But you know, a dream really isn't all that fulfilling in and of itself. It's a nice distraction for a brief moment in time, but eventually you come back to reality and go, oh, it was just a dream. Now I have the real life. Now a mission is very different than a dream. You know, a dream is a part of a mission, but a mission is a dream that you act upon to achieve that goal. You know, think about the heart of God. He has a dream to see all men saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what the Bible teaches. And he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, God had a dream, but it became a mission because he acted upon the dream. You know, other people had a dream to see disciples in Los Angeles, to see disciples in Santa Clarita, and they made sacrifice of money, of time. They relocated to get jobs, and the hope that there would be an amazing church in Los Angeles. You know, Jim shared about when he and Nancy got baptized. The Santa Clarita ministry did not exist. There's a grand total of two couples. The entire LA church fit in this room. 
those Sugarmans and their family group up in Antelope Valley, driving down to L.A. every Sunday, bringing people to church. Midweek, driving down to the San Fernando Valley every week, bringing people to church. Why? Because it was part of the mission. And you and I are here because of the mission. And we're going to look at four different aspects of the mission today. In Mark chapter 1, we're going to see a mission requires sacrifice. We see Jesus at work. In verse 14 of chapter 1, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. You know, there was a dream. There was the good news. The dream was there. The opportunity was there. But it wasn't a mission until they left their nets. It wasn't a mission until they left their father in the boat with the hired men. You know, in some cases, we've got the dream in front of us, and we love it, and we're excited. But we're not locked into the mission yet because we're not willing to leave our nets. You say, well, I'm not a fisherman. I, I don't have any nets. Well, then substitute whatever is in your life. Is there a sacrifice you're unwilling to make? You know, sometimes being responsible can stand in the way of making a sacrifice. Now, I think being responsible is a good thing. But most sacrifices have nothing to do with responsibility and have everything to do with faith. You know, it wasn't responsible for people in Boston, San Diego, and San Francisco to leave their good job, to move to L.A. where they didn't have a job, to hope they could get a job to start a church. That's not responsible. You know, been over to Russia a number of times, and I, I love hearing the stories about some of the different mission teams and just the life experiences and some of the sacrifices involved. Now, I want you to think about this. In, in Russia, of course, uh, it's very socialized in their programs. And so if you want to be able to use the government hospitals, you have to be registered in that area. So you can't just, like, move. It would be the equivalent of, like, moving to a different state and saying, oh, because you're from California, you can't just move to Nevada and use the hospitals or schools. And you can't change your registration unless you buy property. That, that's what can change it. 
So to be on a mission team, to move somewhere where you're not registered means you can't use a hospital and your kids can't go to school there. Now they have pay hospitals and they have pay schools that are really expensive. But I want you to imagine as a parent with kids saying, hey, we need you to move here. Hey, I'd love to go. I got a vision. I just got to hope nobody gets sick. See, and that was the sacrifice that many made to plant a church in an area where they were not registered. You know, we feel, uh, we face social pressures. How do you think the uh, James and John felt being in the boat with their dad and the hired men saying, see you later, I'm going to go follow Jesus. You think dad was fired up about that decision? You know, was probably embarrassed. Here his sons who were going to take over the family business just bailed on it in front of the other workers. Say, how did it look? How did it feel? Oh, gosh, this is terrible. You know, the Bible doesn't record any of the conversations that happened between James and John and their dad. But in some cases, close relationships have to be put on the line to adopt the mission. See, you can have a dream and it doesn't affect any relationships. But as soon as it becomes a mission, as soon as you're committed to the mission, now you have people that love you dearly that are going to think your mission is idiotic. And now you have a choice. The mission or keeping peace in those relationships. Say the mission requires sacrifice. Now the fact is, we can do a lot of churchy things without really being committed to the mission. And, and in some cases, that's we, we like to kind of drift into that because it doesn't hurt anybody's feelings. You don't get any persecution. Nobody will stand up to you. Nobody will be disappointed in you. And you can still say, I do some cool churchy things. But I'm not really living the mission. And you go, you know, I have a dream. But a dream without a mission is unfulfilling. It is empty. And it is powerless. And I want you to think about your life and the word sacrifice. And say, how often do you make a sacrifice for the mission? No, hey, I, I appreciate your generosity for Russia and Santa Barbara. That, that is fantastic. And I think in Southern California, that's a great sacrifice. Because it's an expensive place to live. And you could do a lot with the money that you just gave. So that's awesome. But you know, in some cases, it can be a greater sacrifice for time. Or energy. Or activities. 
And we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. You say, what's, what's the definition of a sacrifice? Is something that when you give it, forces you to be vulnerable and depend on God. If it's just something we do and it was like that was easy, that's awesome, but that's not a sacrifice. A sacrifice is something that you feel. It was a hard change to make. It was something that was big enough that you feel a difference with the rest of your life. You know, if we're, if we're talking about, you know, being committed to God and we go, hey, you know, I shared my faith. I invited somebody to church for a minute this week. Really, in a 168-hour week, one minute, was that a sacrifice? You know, it didn't really change the way we lived. It was just something that we happened to do. Your know, sacrifice should be a regular part of our Christianity. But the older I get, the harder it is to be sacrificial. The older I get, I find myself going, what's the minimum? Okay, how about if I do a little bit more than the minimum? So that way I'm not like a minimum level person. I'm a little more than that. No, what's, what's sacrificial? The mission requires sacrifice. Say, are we there? Well, if it requires vulnerability and dependence on God, yeah, we are. Second thing I see about the mission is the mission requires perseverance. Go over to 1 Kings 18. First Kings 18. Elijah has just won a great victory. Uh, they killed off 850 false prophets. Um, they have not had rain on the land for three and a half years. And if you didn't have rain for three and a half years, you'd be fired up if you knew there was going to be rain. And Elijah, uh, where am I? 1 Kings 18, verse 41. Elijah says to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. Good news. There's the dream. Rain's coming. It's going to be awesome. The drought is ended. The scourge is over. The false prophets are dead. Israel is back, you know, focused on God where they should have been. Verse 42, Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told the servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there. He said seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Go back seven times. You know, a dream is one of those things that, that you could try. You give a little effort, 
and you don't achieve it, and you go, ugh, you know, it can still stay a dream, and no further effort is required. You're discouraged because the dream was not fulfilled. But you can still dream about it. How many people spent two bucks in the last few days? Come on. And you have one of these. Powerball. I was a little bummed out. I did not win $600 million. It remains only a dream. I know you're saying, no, I'm not going to admit that I did. I know you did. (laughs) And you've been dreaming about what you would do with it if you won it. You know, two bucks. It's pretty easy. Hey, you know, maybe it's going to be a reality. I got to give God the chance. After all, I have standards. (laughs) I do not buy cheesy amounts, but since it's 600 million, I've got to invest two bucks. Really invest, throw it away. Um, But, you know, that's really not much of a mission. If I stood before you and said, guys, I have a mission. It is to earn $600 million. Say, Ron, well, that's really awesome. Probably not going to happen in the ministry. Yeah, that's true. What's plan B? Buying Powerball tickets. You would call Ron Quinn and Jerry Sugarman and say, uh, he needs a break. Uh, he's got issues. Can you come up here? Uh, you need to meet with him. You'd go, Ron, you have lost your mind. But you know, sometimes that's, that's how we are. We go, I want, okay, I understand the dream mission contrast here. And I want a mission but I don't want one that requires perseverance. I want one that's like buying a lottery ticket. I just put two bucks of effort in and I get 600 million of dream fulfillment out the other side. That's what I want. You know, I bet all Israel would have given $600 million worth of gold to have rain after three and a half years. And they're looking to Elijah. He's their commander-in-chief. He called down fire. It was amazing. Great victory. And he goes, there's a sound of heavy rain. And they're like, yes. The mission is going to be fulfilled. And the servant comes back. There is nothing there. You say, what a lame servant. That must be the problem. It's the people around us, isn't it? It's not our problem with our mission. It's the people that God has put around us. If, if we had more competent servants around us, that mission would have been fulfilled a long time ago. Isn't it easy to blame the servant? Because yeah, it, it can't be Elijah's fault, right? I mean, he just called down fire from heaven. We know God listens to him, so it's got to be the servant's you know, fault. Maybe Elijah should just fire him and get a whole new batch of servants. And then the mission will be fulfilled. Ah, He simply says, it's not a long conversation. It lasted this long, and I don't know what it was in Hebrew. Go back. That's it. That's the extent of the conversation. 
and he came back again. There's still nothing there. Go back. You see, when you're committed to the mission, you can go back as many times as it takes because the mission is far too important to give up. There are any missions you've given up on in your heart? People you care about? Impacts that you want to make? And you tried, and it didn't work, so you gave up. You know, I think the servant is somebody that we can relate to. Because we know Jesus has given us the mission. But too often, just like the servant, we go, okay... You know, we hear a good sermon, we read a great passage, and we go, okay, I'm committed to the mission. And then we go and we look, and we're like, there's nothing there. And we can relate to the servant. The question I have for you this morning is, who is your Elijah? You say, well, you know, what are you asking? Who is the man or woman or men or women that are in your life that challenge you to go back. And in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of failure and disappointment and hurt feelings, they look at you and say, go back. And you do. A second time, a third time, a seventh time, or tenth or 50th. You know, we got a problem in our society today, and we bring it into the church because society says stuff like, you got to keep it real. You got to be true to yourself. So the only problem with that is, is when you're the servant and you're fired up about the mission, and then you go and you look and you say, there's nothing there. Elijah can't tell you to go back. Because you don't feel like going back. The proof is there. You look for yourself, and there's nothing there. And so nobody's going to boss me around. Nobody's going to push me to do what I don't want to do. Nobody's going to hold me accountable to a mission because I tried it, and it failed. Who is Elijah in your life? You know what? If the servant lived according to society rules today, he would have told Elijah, no, I'm not going back again. Once was enough. Get out of my face. Who do you think you are? Why don't you go look? We will never be mission-minded without people who we give the authority to challenge us in our life. Now, let me say that again. We will never be mission-minded unless we have people in our life that we give the authority to challenge us. Yeah, somebody can challenge you against your will. You're not going to do anything with it. 
the servant allowed himself to be influenced by Elijah seven times. What happened as a result? Rain. But do you ever wonder in our lives how many times we stopped at the sixth go back? Like if we would have just gone back one more time, what would have happened? See, I can tell you, disappointment, failure, loss, hurt feelings, that is a normal part of life. And it's one we've got to learn to face. The real world is not AYSO. Not everybody's a winner. And you know it. You know how I know it? Because the four and five-year-olds, where they don't keep score, the parents still do. Because you finish a game. Oh, that was fun. You know, who won? And the coaches tell the kids, oh, there is no score. And you hear the parents go, yes, there is. You won five to two. We know. Now, we don't like disappointment. We don't like failure. We don't like discouragement. We don't like our feelings to get hurt. But it's just a normal part of life. Have you given anyone the authority in your life to say, go back? When's the last time you were set in your ways and a spiritually-minded brother or sister looked you in the eye and said, you need to change that right now? And you did. I'm not talking about, oh, some unemotional issue that involved, you know, some fairly neutral choices. No, I'm talking about when you were passionately embittered, discouraged, felt like a failure and a loser, and somebody that, that cares about you looked you eye to eye and called you to change, and you did. When's the last time? You know, I think for some of us, it's been years. Say, how, how's the mission going? There's not a one of us that without people like that in our life is ever going to live out the mission. And all it's going to be is an intellectual dream that's never fulfilled. A mission requires perseverance. We've got to have people in our life that tell us, go back, just like Elijah said to the servant. Third thing I see, the mission is inconvenient. Go to Acts 24. Acts 24. Paul is uh, on trial. He's arrested, ultimately going to get sent to Rome. And he's in front of Felix at this point, not the teen minister. And in verse 24, it says, Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. 
So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Paul tells him the good news, the gospel. But he says, you know what? It involves judgment. The good news, there will be a judgment day, but that's the good news for people who are in Christ Jesus because you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And Felix had a choice. He became afraid because as he heard the gospel preached, he realized, wait, where God draws the line, I'm not where I need to be. And you'd think it'd be a no-brainer. Like, if you're afraid, isn't that an indication that you need to change? Isn't, isn't your gut telling you there's a problem? So don't you kind of expect that the next verse is going to be so, just tell me what I need to do, and immediately he puts it into practice. And he does just the opposite. You, you may leave. That's enough for now. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Repentance is never convenient. Anybody here have a busy life? Oh, yeah, all of us. Now, I want you to think for a moment how busy it is. Now, Satan is the god of this world, so he can accomplish a lot of things. If busyness will keep you from repenting, what do you think the chances are your schedule is going to be freed up? I mean, really, that's an easy one for Satan. He can't be everywhere at once. There's certain things that are not in his power, but if busyness is one of them, that's easy. It's never convenient to change. You know, dreaming is convenient. You know, I showed you my, my losing Powerball ticket. May have evoked some dreams of, oh, wow, I could have done this and that, and this would be great. You know, it's easy to do. It's like it just doesn't require much. You can drive somewhere in a car and... And dream. They even have a, a phrase for it, daydreaming. It's really convenient to dream. But it is massively inconvenient to live out the mission. Like, do you think at birth, babies would be born if... You know, they, they somehow could communicate with the baby in the womb and, and said, okay, is it convenient for you to be uh, squeezed out of the birth canal right now? Because if not, we'll wait until a time that it's more convenient. How many babies would go, oh, yeah, plenty good. Please squish my head. I'm like, no, life's pretty good in here. You know, I'm cruising around upside down on my head. I can elbow, you know, my mom and push your organs all over the place. Life's pretty good. I don't need anything. I just, you know, live life and it's, it's, life is just awesome. They never ask the baby, 
You know, Tara Van sent me a really funny uh, link to a YouTube video. Maybe you received it. And they strapped in two guys whose wives had just given birth, and they, they put, like, these electrical connectors, and so they ran current through their abdomen. That would be the equivalent of birth contractions. <laughs> these guys were, like, pounding the bed. Okay, now, first of all, here's my gripe. Let me, it was a pretty funny video to watch, but let me just like get something off my chest. The pain that you feel in labor is Eve's fault. So quit being mad at the father. I'm uh, just letting that sink in a little bit. I don't even know how I got there, and I have no idea what I'm talking about. But it, it just, yeah, Tara sent me that, that link, and I was thinking about that. Man, everybody's, you know, the wives, they're always bitter at the husband, the pain and all that. It's Eve's fault. That's what the Bible says in Genesis 3. Eve, you know, she should have been strapped to that with the thing and not the husband. Anyway... Anybody know where I was at before that? <laughs> Tara, Tara, it's your fault. You sent me distracting videos. Yeah, thank you. Nobody asked the baby. That's where we were. I'm like, man, I'm almost 46. Uh, nobody asked the baby. Is it convenient? And nobody asks you if it's convenient to repent. This is the mission is presented in your life, and you got a choice. Do not fool yourself. Busyness is a lie. It is a smokescreen that we hide behind because we don't want to do it. There will never be a non-busy time. Actually, that's not true. You know when you won't be busy? After Judgment Day, in hell, you'll have all kinds of time, but it'll be too late then. If you're studying the Bible right now, what are you called to do that's inconvenient? There's no easy way. The mission is inconvenient. Make the tough decision. Commit to the change. Change your schedule, change your heart, change your life, change your values. Change. You can. The question is, do you want to? Are you willing? Felix was afraid. And he used an excuse. When it's convenient, I'll send for you. Busy now. Got a lot going on at work. You know, kids' activities and stuff. When I'm not busy, I'll send for you. No, it's up to us. Final thing. Having a mission makes sense. I love this last passage. You're going to relate to these guys. Because, you know, there's some passages in the Bible that you read and you go, yeah, well, that's awesome. Great for them. That's just not where I'm at. You, you know what? You may not be here right now, but you will be at some point, and you're going to think of these guys, 
and you'll relate to them. Second Kings 7. Okay, so Israel is just in, in horrible shape right now. There's a famine. People are dying. They're starving to death. And Elisha says, hey, I got a dream, and I got a mission. And you know what? The floodgates of heaven are going to open, and you can have all kinds of, of food. And so, you know, they're, they're, the armies of the enemy are surrounded. The city, they can't get in or out. Now we pick it up in chapter 7, verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance to the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. If we stay here, we will die. So let's go to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. They're like, man, what a depressing bunch. But, I mean, they're lepers, their life stinks. But you got to appreciate at this moment in time, they go, well, let's think this through. I mean, what choice do we have? Okay, well, we can stay here and we're going to die. If we go there, there's a famine and we're going to die. So we could go to the enemies. Maybe we'll live, but if they kill us, well, then we still die. So who cares? I mean, what do we got to lose? You know what? Sometimes life is just like the conversation these lepers are having. You know, there's moments in life where you are on the mountaintop and life is good and you, you are living out the mission and you know it and God is with you. And then there's other times where you just feel like every part of my life just seems to just stink royal right now. And, you know, this whole mission thing. Okay, well, if you do nothing, you don't have a mission. So you're unfulfilled. Well, if you try your mission and you fail, then you're unfulfilled. So what do you got to lose? Like, this is not really what I call, like, mountaintop faith. <laughs> like, like, imagine if we put out the four-month calendar. No, we just put out a whole year, and I say, guys, you know what? We stink. We stink. I stink. My family stinks. Teen ministry, they stink. The campus, oh, they stink. The singles, they stink. Marrieds, oh, PU, stink. We are so bad. You know, everything we're going to do is going to fail. But we're failures anyway, so might as well give this a chance. I mean, because if we fail, well, we're in the same boat anyway. Like, would you leave going, yeah! You know, that's like when the song leader, like the, the song we're like right before the sermon, we've had a great service so far. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> right before I preach, we've had a great service so far. If the preacher does not lay an egg, it will continue to be a great service. I'm going to do that at the end of my, my sermon. I'm going to go, we've had a great service so far. There's just one more song. Hope they don't blow it. 
such depressing thinking. We're going to die anyway, so we can stay here and die. We can go there and die. We can die at the hands of the enemy. So what's it matter? You know, if we do nothing, there's a zero chance of fulfilling a mission. I mean, there's not a one of us that if we stop and think, go, I want to have a purposeless, lame, non-impacting, I want to have a life that helps no one, I want to repent of nothing, and have lame relationships. That's what I want. Like, we don't look at that and go, that's really how I want to be. Okay, well, if, if we don't commit to anything, what choice do we give ourselves? You see, I think the lepers, we can relate.